0: Welcome to the GeoMob podcast, where we discuss geo-innovation in any and all forms, be it for fun or profit. Hey, Stephen, how are you doing? Welcome back to another episode. How are you?
1: I'm good, thanks, Ed. Good. Had a week away in the English summer, which meant we were dodging rainstorms almost every single day, but lovely to be out in the country for a few days. What about you? Holidays coming up?
0: Holiday is coming up. We got one more week before we fly off to the states to visit a bunch of relatives. Actually, it was it was a trip we were supposed to do last summer, and of course um, had to cancel. So, so yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, a bit nervous, hoping we make it on the flight that you know we don't test positive for COVID or anything for whatever reason. So. So let's see, and ready for, ready for a holiday as well, actually, because we've been working quite hard, and um, I guess I can give my, my update about life at OpenCage. So first up, my co-founder, Mark Tobias, he's been on a well-deserved holiday off uh, mountain biking, so that means I've been holding down the fort myself for the last two weeks, so I've been very busy.
1: Writing code?
0: Writing some code, yes. Wow. Um, <laughs> well, you know, so I think last time we spoke, I mentioned we have had some inquiries from large potential enterprise customers. And one of those came through and we got the contract signed. And uh, so now we've been in the development phase, building exactly what they want, uh, testing it, all that kind of stuff. And actually, hopefully this week that should go live. So big project. We'll be happy to kind of close it off before we head off on holiday. So,
1: always a good idea to go live with a new client just before you go on holiday.
0: Well, I mean, it's not obviously I'll have a computer where I where I go, and I, you know, it's not it's not that I'm i uh, I'm not going to Antarctica or something. But yes, of course, I, you know, I'm I'm looking forward to a to a much needed break. So, I guess the only the only downside of that. So, of course, it's great that we got that customer, but the downside is it means we've had to delay our geo search project. So we're gonna we're gonna reschedule that kind of for September time period. We've made some progress, but but there's too much to do before the holiday. So so that's kind of what we've been up to. What Great. about what about you?
1: Well, MAPRI has been Mapri's so much more fun and easier now that I've got Arno as a partner in it. Um, you know, having two people sharing the load does a lot more than half the burden. You know, it just makes life so much easier. And we've had a flood of posts coming in recently. people sending us stuff, so there's a massive Fantastic. backlog and Now that we 're going into a quiet period, I can get on with writing loads of posts it's interesting you know i don 't know whether you noticed uh Lego produced that a massive Lego map of the world, which
0: as a matter of fact, I did notice because everyone tweets about it all the time. And yeah. Um, yeah,
1: and all so. my cartographer friends have been riffing on Lego and how they can make maps using this Lego set in different projections, sort of different thematics, and everything. But coincidentally, with that. We'd had loads of people sending in Lego maps ages ago, which all just started to bounce on the website. So around the time that Lego announced this great big Lego set, we had loads of Lego maps appearing on the website. So it's been a fun time. And um, lots of other interesting things coming in on on MapRe. so it carries on nicely. Apart from that, consulting work is calm and quiet and, yeah, Matt, it right. seems to be good in the UK at the moment.
0: Yeah, very, very good. Very good. Um, of course, we also should mention, you know, we had another GeoMob a couple weeks ago, and that was our, our final GeoMob. Of, we're also going to take a bit of a summer break there. And let's see. I'm hopeful, um, you know, maybe in August or so, we'll have a bit more clarity on on the COVID situation and lockdowns and travel restrictions and... Maybe we can schedule a GeoMob event, an in-person event in London, kind of in the end of September, early October kind of time frame. So
1: I think let's that's see. Awesome. Let's see. I'd um, love to see that, but I think it's optimistic. I think your chances of getting to London at the moment have to be limited. Well,
0: well even if I can't physically make it, obviously people can go ahead without me. Although yeah. it would be a shame to miss. But I don't know. Yeah, right now the numbers don't look. Great, although it's not clear that that corresponds with preventive measures <laughs> in the UK. So I guess let's see. We'll take a call on that in August. Yeah,
1: so, um... and I think we should try and work out how we do that as a hybrid event. So you know that for the people who've who've joined in GeoMab over the last year and a half from outside of the the areas where the events actually have staged it would be great if we could find a way to keep them connected. Keep them engaged. Yeah. So yeah. it shouldn't be it's- beyond the wit of man or at least Ed and Stephen to work out a way to uh, to broadcast the talks at the same time as they're actually going on.
0: Well, let's see. Let's see. I mean, actually, you know, you know the, the last few days was um, State of the Map. Uh, I don't know if you if you watched any of the talks or participated at all, but you know they had kind of an interesting approach where all of the talks were pre-recorded, Well, not yeah. not all. I mean, they had some live kind of panel sessions, but the actual many of the people pre-recorded their talk, and that way the talk could be perfect. And then you you log on and people can discuss it and ask questions and things like that. But it wasn't a live talk, so mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe there's some variant we can do there of that. I don't know. We'll have to see. So
1: I don't um, really get the point of that. I've got to be honest.
0: Well, it lets people prepare a very good talk. Right. And rather than, you know, some people aren't great in-person speakers or also some of the talks I thought I saw, it was clever because if it's an in-person talk, it's just kind of the standard format of someone with slides where if it's a prepared talk, they can go outside and kind of make a video showing like how things they were mapping or things like that. So. Frankly, I found it to be a good uh, change of pace <laughs> in that regard.
1: Okay. Okay. Um, I could see I could see if you take the ca- if you take the camera outside, if you do something a bit different, maybe it works. Personally I like the fact that people are talking live. Occasionally they make mistakes and they they show themselves to be human. But I guess if if you're not an experienced speaker, if you're a bit nervous, all of that's a lot of pressure on you whereas if you pre-record it you can do it a couple of times if that's what you want to do
0: yeah. i'd
1: hate it i'd hate it
0: <laughs> all right well fair, uh, enough. <laughs> fair enough i mean, the our...
1: temptation to record again and again to get it perfect would just be too much to. well it's,
0: i mean Stephen, it's it's like us with this podcast i mean how many how many hundreds of takes do we have to do usually to get one of these episodes out. I mean, it's just...
1: <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. 1% of 100.
0: Yeah. So, <laughs> all right. Well, let's move on and uh, chat about the kind of geo news. What do we got? We got a, we got a couple of interesting things to talk about.
1: Here. Yeah, we have. We have indeed. So um, let me start off with the Open Street Map Foundation talking about leaving the UK. And I think it's important that we say, as a starter... That they're talking about leaving the UK. They haven't actually made a decision that they're going to do it, I don't think.
0: Yeah, it's it's not clear yet whether there'll be a move and if so, where them where to where that move would be. Yeah. But well, you know, I kind of have a my own perspective on this given that I had a, a UK company that I moved out of the UK to, to Germany, to the EU. In our case, I I don't regret it at all it was a bit tedious and it, it was a chore to do and, it, you know, had some legal costs and things and it, it was a distraction. But the issue is in our case for many, many of our customers were in the EU and the issue of GDPR and where is the data and, and, you know, many customers are very concerned about this. Yeah. And, and many of our European customers were asking us, you know, in the lead up to Brexit and in, in the, the many lead ups to Brexit uh, the, uh, that, They were saying, you know, why are we still going to be able to work with you? What about GDPR? And, you know, we would try to explain things to them. And our servers were always in the EU and things like that. But my big fear was people who, potential customers, who would just look at our site and say, oh, it's a UK company. I can't work with them. I can only work with an EU company. Yeah. Um, And so that was why we did it. And, And I don't regret it at all. In the osmF case, I don't know really if it's as needed or not. I mean, I think the crux of the, there are a couple of issues around it, right? One is you know how how the eu treats copyright around databases or copyright on facts yeah. I, I, i'm not I'm not intimately familiar it's with it's something that. to
1: do with the open database license as I understood it that yeah the eu recognized the ODbl in a way that the u k government. Do not or may not, after yeah. as this thing rolls out and and clearly that will be much more important to osmf than than any business issues, because I don't think GDPR is going to be the the big driver for them. I think the ODBL is the biggest thing because that's protecting the intellectual property rights that they have in the database.
0: There have been some business issues, though. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but apparently the, you know, every, the banking situation with the UK has been very difficult for OSMF in terms of, you know, every year new directors are named and getting those directors access to the bank account is tedious. And then actually what I learned this year is, you know, OSMF had accounts with, with TransferWise, uh, or now known as Wise. And apparently all the accounts were frozen you know, with zero notice because OSMF allows membership from Iranians. Right. And why, you know, I was like, this could, you know, we're, there are potential uh, sanction issues around doing business with Iranians or things, that, you know, and so from one day to the next, just kind of froze the accounts, um, you know, which is very painful.
1: I'm not sure that you'll solve many of those problems by moving to another country.
0: I'm not sure either. I don't. I'm not I mean, sure either. But
1: I mean, just for example, I've not tried to open a bank account in many foreign countries, but when I have done, it's been a nightmareish experience.
0: Here, I, I have. I've had bank accounts in four different countries. The UK is particularly insanely difficult. I have to say, really? the, the, the whole issue around the UK is that the UK has no proof of identification. Your proof of ID is bringing a water bill from Thames Water. Right. Okay, and and I mean that's just a farce. Whereas in in European countries, you have an ID card, and you just you know it's a very standard way to do things. Uh, And then there are also some EU countries like um, Estonia. I don't know if you followed their uh, Estonian e residency thing, where I mean they have the benefit of basically having a complete kind of restart. uh, And they've I, I actually became an Estonian e resident, and it's such a smooth, simple experience. Everything. Very cutting edge, very modern, all done online, all 100% in English, of course. Other, I mean, if you want, you can do it in Estonian and I think also other languages. Uh, it, it, it was really impressive. Whether that would meet OSMF's needs, I don't know. But
1: I think but, they're going to find that if you change directors every year and you want the directors to have access to the bank account, that is going to be a time-consuming And challenging process where, whichever country you're domiciled in. Yeah. Um, But anyway, look, what I found more interesting about that whole thing was that it actually merited a front page article in the Guardian newspaper and website because it was Brexit related or it was positioned as being Brexit related. And I found it fascinating and, and very impressive, in fact, that. The Guardian newspaper, which is a major newspaper in the UK, actually thought that OpenStreetMap was of significant interest to its readership. And it wasn't in the tech section. It was in the general news section. And they made no endeavor, really, to explain what OpenStreetMap was or why it was important. They just assumed that their readership actually knew what OpenStreetMap was. And I thought that was quite amazing.
0: Yeah, it's an indi- indication of, uh, you know, how popular the project has become, how well known it's become, not just in tech circles. I guess we should also note in terms of practical implications for the UK, it, you know, it's not as if the OSMF has some staff or something, some some global HQ. I mean, I think they have a mailing address in the UK. I don't think it's, it's you know, it's not as if, like, the team is going to go unemployed or something, I thought. Um, so I'm not sure it has that big of an implication for the UK. But still, it does, seems a shame.
1: Well, it's where, it, it's only based in the UK because that's where Steve Coast was when he started it. Yeah. It doesn't pay taxes. It doesn't employ anybody. Um, when I said it doesn't pay taxes, that's not because it's doing anything bad. It's just because it's it's a not it's a, it's a non-profit. Yeah. It's a non-profit making thing that doesn't have any significant income.
0: Well, uh, I don't know. As 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 you know, someone who's organized Geomob London, though, it, of course, it was always kind of a point of pride that OpenStreetMap started in London, and you know, you still had the kind of inner core of some of those people around, and obviously they'll still be around, and and that won't be lost. But I don't know. It does feel like uh,
1: we're not rewriting history, Ed. <laughs> OpenStreetMap still started in London.
0: That is true. That is true. <laughs>
1: Uh, there's plenty of rewriting of history going on at the moment, but we can both agree that OpenStreetMap started in London.
0: Yes, I, I concede on that point. Yeah. So, so
1: what right. else is happening? Um
0: Well, we got the news from the US that employees at Mapbox are unionizing yeah. or, or want to unionize. I'm not I, honestly I have to say this is not a story that I have Followed in great detail, nor where I fully understand the legalities of what it implies. I guess for me the main point, similar to how you said that the key point with the OSMF story was that the Guardian assumed people knew what OpenStreetMap is. For me, this kind of just shows, uh, you know, clearly Mapbox has kind of moved out of the startup phase. <laughs> when when your employees are unionizing, I guess you would say, um, you know, it shows how big Mapbox has become. Uh, a that they have you know such a significant volume of employees and that they're they're having to deal with these kinds of issues so now, um
1: well it featured in in bloomberg which is sort of the
0: well that box is huge i mean the US they've, equivalent they've of
1: the Financial Times it's yeah they've got yeah, 220 I, employees know. apparently in the States um I thought and actually I just looked before we came online to record and um, there is now a website called mapboxworkersunion.org. So um, this is obviously still going ahead, even though it's not made as much noise in the last few weeks. What tickled my interest with this was that it just made me think about the general position of big tech and Mapbox isn't yet big tech. Um, towards unions, you know, and unions have been fundamental in getting workers' rights, safety, benefits, a whole range of things, you know, and uh, and we've seen big tech um, almost universally has fought very hard against unionization and sort of played the card of we look after our workers, you know. We give them nice restaurants and beanbags to sit on and coloured furniture and everything's yeah. lovely and fun. And I'm not sure that it is. You know, I don't think yeah, you know, I don't know anything about working for Mapbox, and I'm certainly not gonna comment on that one specifically, but there are not many records of people working for Amazon, for example. Think that working for Amazon is great. You know, I'm sure the executives think it's great, but lots of people working in the warehouses and in the lower level clerical jobs don't don't seem to be particularly favourable to it. You go to Uber, you go to Deliveroo, you go go across the whole of this sort of new wave of tech.
0: Yeah, I, I think that though you should differentiate that because many of the drivers of Uber, I mean, you know, this has been a matter of matter of legal debate: are those drivers employees or not, or are they just part time contractors? Whereas, I don't think that's the case with Mapbox, Right, the people are full they're definitely employees. employees right? Yeah. So, so I don't, as I said, I don't fully understand the legalities of what it means, um, you know, to to be a, a union. And I know one of the issues is you know, does the union represent the members of the union or do they represent all employees, whether you choose to be a member of the union or not? And I think, and, and this this can vary from state to state in the U.S., how that is interpreted. Uh, I mean, in general, in Europe, you know, I think obviously workers have far more protections than people in the, in the U.S. So I think many of the issues that that companies employees grapple with in the U S are already kind of well regulated in Europe. I mean, the whole situation with uh, healthcare in the U S is just a farce that, you know, that your employer is responsible for providing your healthcare. I find kind of baffling speaking now as someone who was an employer, like I'm the, I'm when I had my company, I would be the absolute worst person to decide on the healthcare options for yeah. my employees. Like, you know, why, why would I have any knowledge of how to do that? So
1: I wonder if there's any connection with the fact that workers in Europe, particularly, are much better protected and have more rights and benefits, uh, longer holidays, yeah. presumably a better life-work balance and all of those things. And all of the tech giants have grown out of the US, and it's that US culture that creates these tech giants as well. Mm.
0: I don't know. I mean I think there are a lot lot to dissect there. I've always heard it to be more about the kind of the the venture capital c- ecosystem on the US West Coast and things, um, rather than employment law issues. But I guess that's something to consider. But yes. I don't know. For me it just, I guess it just shows that um you know, Mapbox was let's say one of the one of the, the original Neo Geo companies, right? Mm-hmm. And I guess it's been around for about ten years now. Uh, one of the first companies to to build extensively on OpenStreetMap, um, even though you know now they they continue to support OpenStreetMap massively, but they also use other many other data sets. So I guess it's just showing that you know the, the Neo Geo industry and is, is is maturing. Yeah, and you know having to grapple with many real world issues like uh, employee employee relations.
1: Yeah. So and to be. F- And to be absolutely open about this, we don't have any idea what response Mapbox have given corporate to the request of their staff to unionize. They may have been fully supportive of it, for all we know.
0: (laughs) That's not the impression I got based on some of the things I read on Twitter. But admittedly, those were all second or third hand. So you are correct. I don't have any detailed knowledge. You know, I think Mapbox has – there has been some – some change there. The 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 CEO recently switched to a different role, and there's a new CEO. And um, there's been a lot of speculation of an IPO in in some way, shape, or form. And um, you know, be that one of these new spacs, or you know, how it could work. Unclear. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I guess I, I, my point again is just um, you know the the neo geo industry, the neo geo scene is growing up. For yep. better or worse.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. They're so. not plucky little startups anymore when they're starting to have hundreds of employees and unionization um, yeah. and billions of dollars of investment. Correct.
0: Correct. Yeah. And, you know, now that many people have already left, I mean, it, it, obviously, which is normal over the course of a company that's been around for 10 years, you had people who've come and gone. And so, yeah, I just thought it was useful to kind of highlight that story. The listeners. So, so, what else we got, Stephen?
1: Well, we've got Twitter's MD in India being arrested, I believe. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, what happened to it? Certainly.
0: Certainly. The, well, so the issue there is, of course, in India, it's illegal to show maps that don't portray the correct uh, borders of India as, as defined by the Indian government. And so, you know, obviously there are some. Some disputed borders with Pakistan and and China. Yeah. So, and if you show an incorrect map, you know that can be, you know, prosecuted. Um, tough situation for Twitter though, because I don't. You know, how do you, how do you police all the content of all your users? That's a it, rough one.
1: It wasn't a Twitter user. It was in the careers section. I see. And I think it was Twitter recruiting, if I understood it correctly.
0: Yeah, I. I mean, yeah, you're so but still so difficult, right? It's so difficult. I mean, I'm sure yeah. someone. I mean, I, I doubt this was some sort of intentional uh, challenge to the sovereignty of India, but rather just someone probably just quickly did a search for map of India and grabbed the first image they found. You know.
1: Yeah, so. I mean, it says um, I'm just looking at an article in the Indian Express, Um, and it says um, the controversy erupted after it was discovered that a map of the world in the Tweep Life section under careers on the platform's website showed the union territories of Jammu and Kashmir and Ladakh as lying outside the borders of India. The distorted map had pins for three offices of Twitter in India. So... (laughs) Yeah, you know, it was a map for recruitment which showed three Twitter offices in India, and the pins have been dropped on a, presumably a Google map or an Open Street map that had the borders um, drawn incorrectly. Um,
0: yeah, but they, I mean, you know, again, I'm sure it was just some employee somewhere was yeah. given the task of like, you know, on all recruiting pages show the map of the country with pins mm-hmm. of our office. But this really gets into the crux of this whole discussion about, you know, how how do you have a global Internet with national rules?
1: Or how do you have a global map with national rules? Because yeah. you know, last count, there were over 200 border disputes around the world. You know, there's hundreds of them, you know, sure. and, um, you know, different countries assert territories and... India is particularly robust in its defence of its authorised version of its borders. But, you know, I'm sure the Chinese are pretty strict on what people show as being Chinese territory. Russia and Ukraine will be showing completely different maps of the Crimea Crimea at the moment. And, you know, if you're producing a global map, whether you're Google, whether you're OpenStreetMap, how do you show those borders
0: yeah it's a tough one i mean obviously the open street response is you can you know you can have the data and how you represent it is up to you but you know there was a big discussion a few years ago about about Crimea hmm. where so who should be shown as owning Crimea right um you know i think the global global diplomatic consensus is that Crimea is part of Ukraine but in OpenStreetMap, the opinion has always been we map according to the on on the ground reality. Mm-hmm. Um so this is complex, yeah. right? Yeah. So which one
1: and you get an I, edit war going on. You yeah, you'll get, you'll get
0: an edit there, there are many edit wars all the time. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. so not just about you know the exact line of control, but you know, what the name actually have you followed this whole thread on the uh, the OSMF talk list about the body of water that uh, most people in um, in in the English speaking world know as the Persian Gulf should it be named the Persian Gulf or should it be the Arab Gulf or the yeah. you know I guess there are different yeah. different versions of this name based on who whomever you're speaking with so
1: absolutely um, so I hope that the MD of Twitter in India manages to stay out of prison. I really don't think um, the representation of borders on a map should be a reason for going to prison. But uh. Well,
0: I, I do think, so I agree with you, but I also think this issue of trying to provide international web services, internet services in a, in a nationalistic world is going to be a point of, point of discussion for years to come and um, of, of how we build systems to handle that and treat that is going to be a very big challenge i think you know and it's, it's not just things like representing the map it's these executives should discuss for gdpr and things like that where's the data cap to who, who what rights do you have around the data who decides who has those rights challenging yeah. very challenging
1: yep so, we have a. Uh a global internet that uh, national governments are trying to manage. You know, I mean, this morning as we're recording, by the time people listen to this, it'll be a couple of weeks later, but it's the day after the European Cup finals. And, uh, you know, the English players who, who missed their penalties suffered terrible racial abuse on social media immediately following the game the British government would like to be able to do something to stop this. And there's absolutely nothing, well, there's nothing that they can do whilst the tech companies fundamentally are outside of their domain. I'm not certain that they should be able to do anything. I'm, I'm not saying that that's right that they want to do something, but it is intensely frustrating for them that they're unable to do it.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a challenging situation. I yeah. mean, I, the, the possibilities of the technology are so powerful when you know for everyone but can be misused by by a small minority of idiots but does that mean we should limit the technology does that mean we should give government the you know if you say okay we should let government restrict what people say obviously that can be grossly abused as well
1: no um, but i mean this morning i was wondering about this long-standing discussion about the right to anonymity on social yeah. media. We we've created a right to anonymity where you can have the name Stephen12345 or Ed something, yeah. you know, and you know, be completely invisible, create a, a second email address and yeah. and all of that. And maybe that's wrong. You know, maybe maybe if you want to speak in the public square, you have to be willing to identify yourself in some meaningful way.
0: You mean with my water bill from Tung's Water?
1: Yeah, that would do. Or
0: okay, yeah. Okay. Uh, um... <laughs> yeah. No, <laughs> well,
1: uh, yeah. I, I just think that was a good segue. More... I really like that segue. How we got back to your water bill again. Let's see if we can get just... it in once more before the end of this podcast. All right. Uh,
0: well, I just think it shows all these issues, you know, that that affect social media you know the geospace is not immune to them either no. is what the what the twitter situation shows so uh, and as a society you know we're gonna have to find solutions to these issues yeah. be they technical be they cultural whatever it may be so all right we have one more final topic we wanted to discuss Stephen, so and this was um uh joe morrison again put out another great uh, article which um for anyone out there listening if you're not yet subscribed to Joe Morrison's email newsletter, you should be or follow him on twitter It's always an insightful read um and this time I, love that about, guy. Uh, I love him I think yeah we gotta get him on the podcast here at some point yeah.
1: I and, don't always agree with him, but he's really thoughtful and thought provoking and even when I think he's wrong, he's worth reading and uh he's certainly not wrong in this one um well, all right,
0: So, to take us through the article. What exactly did he say there?
1: Well, basically, he's talking about how how gaming has been threaded into mapping and how it's increasingly having having a an impact on the way we're mapping. And he starts off by talking about the fact that Keyhole, uh, which is the forerunner of Google Google Earth and Google has, Maps, yeah. and Google Maps as well. Started off trying to build a gaming engine. And they didn't really make it with the gaming engine, but they discovered that they had a way of presenting vast amounts of imagery. And that was the basis on which Keyhole became a separate product, uh, got investment, and the rest is history. but he then goes on to talk about the gaming engines that you know the modern gaming engines and the incredible graphics and uh and he talks about um Microsoft's flight simulator, which uh we've talked about in the past, and it really sure. is a stunning piece of technology that and um and what you realize is that um you know this there's this convergence of technology to render three d imagery. And they use, they've been doing it for ages in gaming engines. And now we're starting to really see that take off in mapping. You know, and you've got loads of people working on 3D mapping. And, you know, he talks about Snapchat. And uh, we've talked about that as well. And our friend Sean Gorman, whose Pixel 8 Earth business, got bought by Snapchat. and They also bought... Didn't they buy Mapillary, or was that Facebook? No, no, that was Facebook. That was Facebook. Right.
0: But yeah, they they have been acquiring acquiring yeah. quite a few things, and, and we've also had here on the podcast we've had Dent Reality, yeah, which is kind of a similar taking uh, the yeah. augmented reality into the the retail experience. So
1: yeah, yeah, and then, then he goes into augmented reality, and it's a great article. I recommend it, and certainly. If I jump to his two takeaways, his two takeaways from this are that firstly, that interface is interface design, the UX design is going to be increasingly important in the battle between the map providers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the reasons that I always use Google, I never use one of the other mapping things is because the interface just works well. It works simply. It doesn't get in the way of what I want to do. Um, As we go to 3D and virtual reality and all of that, um, the interface is going to become increasingly important because if you find yourself doing the wrong things, not getting to the right part of the application, uh, you're going to get pissed off and move away from it. So he talks about that. And he also talks about artificial reality and how... You know, the stuff that Snap are doing in particular, using Sean's technology and other technologies that they've acquired, is going to be transformative. All in all, an article I think well worth reading.
0: Yes, I agree. And I mean A it's worth reading and B is difficult to argue with his conclusions. I guess for me the what are the implications of that? I mean, one thing I do worry about is you know, at Geomob, we often have hobbyists or, or tiny startups who kind of come up with very interesting ideas and are innovating. Um, but the problem is creating great interfaces is a real, di- really difficult mm-hmm. skill, particularly if you're trying to do that across all the different platforms. You know, it's not enough to have an amazing website. You have to have an amazing, it has to look great on iPhone, it has to look great on Android. You know, who knows what other glasses interfaces we're going to have and things like that. And and that's very hard. That's very hard to yeah. do, and and so maybe, you know, is it the case that the hobbyist ideas will no longer be able to have the breakthrough because they're no longer able to, you know, reach the minimum bar of usability, that that now necessitates having you know a, a team of people who are experienced in this and and know all the tips and tricks for each different different
1: platform. Well, so I hope not. I hope not. I think I um, hope not either. Also. You mentioned Dead Reality, Andrew Hart, who was on the podcast you interviewed yeah. him a few months back. And um, we've both been following that company quite closely. And we know other people who work there. And that's a small company.
0: It, it is. And it's very impressive what they've done. But they have also you know, raised money and stuff. It's not one guy working at home. No, you know what I mean. No, so absolutely. I, not. And, which is for a period we had the. It felt like we had the the kind of golden age of innovation in that one guy working at home. You know, one person working at home could actually make these very compelling things. And I I worry that that
1: was that ever you know, really the case.
0: I don't know. <laughs> maybe I'm. Mean, maybe I'm. I think. Maybe I'm. Uh, I you think know, you're
1: looking back with rose. You're know, glamorizing
0: two, the past. Yeah, you know, so I
1: think you're day, you're rewriting history. You must now, have been staring at your utility bill for too long. Yeah.
0: Either way though, I, I do agree people should read this article and and I I do think um it is absolutely phenomenal some of the advances being made in uh, in the gaming engines. I mean, he posts in here one uh kind of demo video um from uh which one is it? From Unreal Engine, oh, which it's... is is just phenomenal. I mean, yeah. just phenomenal. So uh, well, And, and like the newest flight simulators and things. I mean, it's really amazing when you look at how how much better they've gotten over the last decades. So yeah. very cool. Very cool stuff. So,
1: And I just want to point out that uh, despite all our best efforts and not having much to talk about, we're running on and on and on. All right.
0: All right. Let's wrap it up, Stephen. Then all that remains is to wish all of our listeners a very good and relaxing summer. And uh, look forward to seeing you all again. Oh, wait, you got Oh, some. one
1: more thing. Yeah, one more thing. We're coming up to our hundredth episode, Ed.
0: Oh, of course, of course. Uh yes, we are coming up to our hundredth episode. It'll be sometime in the autumn. So we're debating what to do for that. Um, so if you have any suggestions, then please let us know. Um, and, and of course, always if you have any questions that you'd like us to discuss here on the podcast or um, suggestions for guests in general, of course, but but also any ideas around the hundredth episode, that would be very nice.
1: So quite a landmark coming up. We
0: still got a ways to go, Stephen. Yeah. So yeah. let's enjoy the summer first. Yeah,
1: let's enjoy the summer. Have a great summer. You as well. Take Bye. care. Bye.
0: Thanks everyone for joining us today and listening to the GMOP podcast. Hopefully, you've enjoyed the discussion. Please don't hesitate if you have any feedback for us or any suggestions for topics that we should cover in the future. You can get the show notes over on the website, which is at thegeomob.com. While you're there, if you're not yet on the mailing list, please do get on the mailing list where we once a month send out an email announcing future events, summarizing past events, and just generally sharing events that you may find of interest. You can also, of course, follow us on Twitter, where our handle is geomob. You can follow Steven at Stephen Feldman. You can follow me at Freifogel. You can check out Mappery at mappery.org. And of course, if you need any geocoding, please check out my service, which is opencagedata.com. We look forward to you joining us again at a future episode and of course, seeing you at a future GeoMop event. Hope to see you there soon. Bye.